Thank you very much. And good evening, folks. My name is Norm, and I am an alcoholic. And I certainly want to thank Don and Teresa and Herb and Beverly and Jack and Jan and all of the committee and all of the people uh, here in Indiana for the opportunity to be here this evening and to participate and be part of it and have the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope with you folks that I might get in another day of sobriety, too. Also, I have the opportunity to say welcome to all of the new people that are out there tonight for your first 30 days in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a, obviously the, back, <clears throat> the backbone of Alcoholics Anonymous is the new people, and if you're new and you're in here for less than 30 days, I'm sure you're now aware of the fact you've associated yourself with one of the most uh, popular, unpopular fellowships in the world. Uh, you know, nobody... I wonder why he laughed. I must have said something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say something wrong? Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, to the, to the new people, I'm sure you're aware of the fact you've associated yourself with one of the most unpopular fellowships in the world. You know, nobody begins his life wanting to become an alcoholic or a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, because frankly, it, there's not a hell of a lot of class to be an alcoholic and not much status connected to it. And uh, we don't issue out pins and it says, you know, you're a 32nd degree alcoholic and you stick it on, you run around the city. I got a pin, man, you know. <clears throat> everybody's delighted over God, glad you made it, Norm, and all that. No, hell no. no. Nobody is delighted over the fact that you're an alcoholic or not many people and a member of AA. As a matter of fact, uh, the alcoholic isn't even delighted of it. <clears throat> He's not even an alcoholic the day before he comes to AA when you get right down to it. <clears throat> the alcoholic is a heavy drinker and a victim of unusual circumstances, but he sure as hell not an alcoholic the day before he gets in. And the alcoholic, you know, he goes to any length rather than to get here. You know, he changes environments, jobs, <coughs> wives, goes to jail. Some die. You know, man, I ain't going to AA. I'd rather die. <laughs> you know, he dies out there. I'll, so I'll show you. I ain't going to them rotten meetings, and he dies. So that's how unpopular this fellowship is. And I'm sure if you knew, you recognize that. But now, once that you uh, go through all that you can go through, <coughs> once that you get to the point where you totally surrender, <coughs> and you come in and you become a survivor... And the people that are here this evening are the survivors out there, you see. And you find out, by God, it isn't such a bad deal. You find out this is something you've been looking for for a long time. You find out that you never have to take another drink again if you don't want to. <clears throat> you find a, a group of people who will know most everything about you, who will still accept you, who are not necessarily interested in where you've been or where you're trying to go, but they're awfully interested in what you're trying to do today. And as an alcoholic, you know, that's a hell of a deal, because when you're out there drinking, you know, when I was out there drinking in the latter years, there wasn't anybody that was interested in me unless they heard I was going to jail or leaving town. Then they were delighted over that. Other than that, like, you know, nobody give a damn one way or another. <laughs> you know, people used to say to my wife, well, where's Norm? Well, he's down in Texas on a job. He'd be gone about three months. Isn't that marvelous? You know, they, <laughs> they were always glad to get him the hell out of there. Well, now this kind of changes. You see, if you're new, you, you come on in here to AA and you, you find people who really care. You want to do something about that drinking? Why, it's pretty damned easy. As my sponsor told me, he said, man, you use that nickel therapy. You put the money in the telephone and you make the call and you make the call before you take the drink. And if you'll do that, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be down to see you. And he said, here's some more numbers. And you call them and by God, they'll be down to see you too. And so I used that nickel therapy and I made them phone calls and it was just that easy. And by God, they were people of their word. And they came down there to see me. And they didn't sit there with that pity and hate that I've been used to all my life. They sat there with compassion and with understanding. They were guys from AA. And that's got to be the best deal I ever had in my life. And I've a guy to look for, you know, half the world out there trying to find the best deal, you see. And I never found it, not really, until I came to this program and was subjected to this marvelous group of people that call themselves Alcoholics Anonymous. So for the new people, if you will, I try and grab the package that's here and take it on out there. And you too enjoy some of the things that we've seen here, that I've seen in the years that I've been around. And to qualify the initial statement I made for the benefit of the new people, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm not by any stretch of imagination an authority, a consultant, or a counselor on the program Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm an example good or bad, that AA works, that it has been necessary for me to take a drink, steal anything, 
or go to jail now for 23 years. Uh, I'm sure that nobody here tonight was really overly impressed with that. <clears throat> but I am, obviously, or I'd have never brought it up. You know that. Yeah. And you never know, hell, we may get a pension program going here, by God. <laughs> and if we ever do, I want to get credit for all my time. So, you know, I bring it up every time I have the opportunity. And if I don't have the opportunity, I bring it up anyway, sure. <laughs> yeah, but man, if you're sitting out there new, well, that's tough to understand, isn't it? This is difficult to digest. Under, you know, see, a guy's had some sobriety, any period, any time of sobriety. And hell, you know, I can understand that. It hasn't been that long ago that I can't remember sitting in that first AA meeting. I was 29 years old. To save you a lot of mental calculation, I'm 52. Yeah. <laughs> I know you said I don't look it. But anyway, I can remember sitting at that first AA meeting and this, this first talker I ever heard, he stands up there in front of the group and he said, I ain't had a drink for nine and a half years, and I damn near fell out of the chair. Oh, man, you're the biggest liar I've ever heard. You know, how can a guy go nine and a half years out there in that rotten jungle dealing with all them nasty people, meeting his responsibilities, being honest, and he hadn't snuck a hooker for nine and a half years. Incredible. I couldn't believe it. And it became a nine and a half year program now. Immediately, you know, I thought, what do I do for the next nine and a half years? Jesus, I'll never make it out there. <laughs> what do I do with all my time for the next nine and a half years? And, and what are all my friends going to do for the next nine and a half years? They'll all die. That's what'll happen to them, yeah. If I'm not there to guide them through life, the poor souls, you know, and on and on. And I became consumed with this thing until... You know, that's why if you're new, why you're sponsored, your friends tell you, you know, to get to a lot of meetings. And if you get to a lot of meetings, you come to find out that, hell, it ain't a nine-year program, and it's not a 23-year program. It's a one-day-at-a-time program. It's going, you know, what's going down right now. That's what it's all about. And I'll tell you something, buddy, if it's going good for you right now, don't question it. Don't ask people, why is it going so good? Grab it, man. Get all of it you can, because it'll get salty later on. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> Yeah, get her right now. But you, you come to find out, by God, if you take care of the day, chances are the week's going to take care of itself. And well, a month and well, a year. And before you know it, I held 23 years of run by. And it seems like yesterday, really. But I was sitting there in those first AA meetings, going through the mental gymnastics and wondering why I was there. Because as I mentioned, I wasn't overjoyed over the fact that I was an alcoholic and had to come to AA. And I, and I sat there and started that rationalization. You know, why am I an alcoholic? God, I come from a family of heavy drinkers. Everybody in my family drinks. Everybody in my family drinks today. You know, I come from an Irish-Italian family. And I thought, you know, man, we ought to have a leg up on it. The Italians made it, the Irish drank it, and unfortunately, I got to AA. I wonder why that happened, you know. Well, uh, so you know, immediately you start blaming your people and your nationality. Uh, you know, that was my problem. That's all alcoholic problems. They, they blame people, places, and things for all the trouble. I thought, man, it's my family. Yeah, they did it to me. I never really fit. You know, I was never one and I was never the other. But I come to find out after a little concentration that being Irish and Italian, all that really means is you're, you're not overly intelligent. That's all that means. You know? it, it doesn't really mean you're going to have any booze trouble out there. No. <clears throat> I used to think maybe the environment. You know, that was kind of a fancy word came out a while back. And so, you know, if you've got nothing else to do, you say, well, it was the environment. Man, I'm born and raised in L.A. Anybody born and raised in L.A. has got to be hacked one way or another. Yeah, I know a lot of guys came out of L.A. and they've never been drunk in their life. So apparently, it is not the area, and these aren't the reasons behind my alcoholism. I figured this out one evening all by myself. Uh, uh, I am alcoholic because of the booze I drank. You know, there was a giant decision. Yet, y'all, it wasn't the people, places, and things. Man, it was that booze out there. I drank that booze as hard and as fast as I could drink it. 
And somewhere in that lottery of my life, I crossed some invisible line from the social aspect of drinking in the, the compulsive area. One's too many and a thousand aren't enough. Looking for the answer to living out there in a quart of whiskey and I can't find it. My whole life revolves around booze. People that sell it and people that drink it. And after half a dozen drinks, I got no control over my destiny. After half a dozen drinks, man, I'm gone out there. Yeah. It was the booze. It was this guy here. It was this personality. I got that alky personality. I'm a racializer, a justifier, a compromiser, and I got a rotten attitude. And man, you don't need more than that, no. I had all of that before I ever took my first drink. Sure, traveled half the world in half my life. I made a complete ass of myself. Spent money I didn't have buying things I didn't need, trying to impress people I didn't like. And I just... I think really essentially that's the story of most alkies. You run all over hell to tell a lot of people you've never met you're something you aren't. And you'll never see the guy again. That's the terrible part of it, to follow up on it. No. You know, sitting around them gin mills and the guy says, what do you do, Norm? Well, man, I do it all out there, man. That's what I do, yeah. I'm the general manager of the universe, buddy. That's what I am. Don't you forget it. Now, yeah, the last of the high rollers coming to town. You see, it was important to let him know. I spent a lifetime out there impressing people. I, I might be in L.A., you know, it's 105 there in the summertime, and I'm driving around the city in my automobile with all the windows rolled up to make you think i got an air conditioner, you know. <laughs> Alcoholics go to any length. A guy told my story years ago down in Texas. By this old Texican, he didn't know it, but he was telling my life story. I think it's worth the pass on. I'm sure you've heard it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <clears throat> it's a story about the blacksmith making a horseshoe. You know, he pounds out that horseshoe and he throws it down the ground. And an old cowboy standing there watching it, and he reaches down and picks up that horseshoe. And quick, he throws it back down the ground. And the old blacksmith turned to him and he says, Hot, wasn't it? And the old cowboy said, No, it doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, God, oh my, I thought that's the story of my life. You know, I run around the city picking up them hot horseshoes all my life. You know, justifying the stupidity of my life. Sure. The guy says, Norm, you're laying on the street there drunk. Oh, hell no, I'm not. I like streets. That's why I'm laying here. <laughs> well, I spent a lifetime out there of this justification. By God, I came to the program and I found out, hell, that's no longer necessary. You know, I don't do those things anymore. When I got into AA, they said, buddy, don't impress us in AA. We've been impressed by experts in AA. Norm, you don't have to go through that garbage anymore now. Now, you come on in here, man. No matter where you've been, we've been there before you. So don't worry about it. You're, you're not a competitor in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not a competitor here this evening. I'm not competing with the guy that was here this morning or the guy tomorrow or the, or the guy you want to have next year. No, this is what it is about. Now, we've been impressed by experts. Why the hell do we have to be impressed? It isn't necessary. I think that's one of the beauties of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I no longer have to impress anybody. I found, I guess, what I've been looking for all my life. I found a way to be myself. And you know, I don't get any more than that in the sobriety I've experienced here. I can say without any reservation whatsoever, I'm overpaid. Because I've been able to spend a lot of days out there in that city street and all I've had to be is me. I haven't had to justify my existence or compromise my life. Not if I didn't want to. I, I could just be out there and be myself. What a hell of a deal it is. And if you're, if you're a newcomer, I, uh, I suggest that you, that you buy the package that's available to you here. Get it all and take it on out there tomorrow. And spend the day out there tomorrow just being yourself. It's an experience that no alcoholic should be without. Tonight, if I may, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what I was like, what happened, what I'm trying to be like now, what the program of AA means to me. It's a th some things that I've used to stay sober over a period of time, and I don't do it to impress anybody, but I, I don't know a better way to talk about AA. As far as I'm concerned, that's what it's all about. Uh, 
one algae talking to another algae, and between the two of us, we stay sober. And what do a couple of algaes talk about? They talk about all the hack and the hustle out there in the street. They talk about coming into the program and finding a better way to operate. They talk about things that they're using to today to, to stay out of that trouble. And to me, this reflects to, as to what the book says, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm trying to be like now. I've told you a great deal about myself. I'm a guy with an attitude problem, and if you've got an attitude problem, you've got a hell of a problem. You know, life and living is a matter of attitude. You know, I get up in the morning, got a rotten attitude, I got a rotten day out there. That's the way it's going to go. If I don't change it, I got a rotten week or a month or a year. 1962, I got a bad program going. <laughs> and I got a bad attitude, and I had a rotten year out there, the whole year of 1962. So I, I recognize my life is totally revolves around attitude, you know. Everything in here is that's where it all begins. You know, the greatest enemy Norm ever had has always been one guy, has been Norm. Everywhere Norm goes, Norm goes, you know. I, when I get there, no matter where it is, I'm the first guy to arrive. You see, it all begins <laughs> right here within myself. Uh, I overreact, God do I overreact. And uh, I stand out there in that jungle and I won't buy living on living's terms. I want it my way and I'm going to turn, twist, and move it. I got a lot of trouble out there and that's the matter of attitude. And the attitude problem up here, you know, began years ago, long before I ever had a drink. I was going to prove to the world out there, you know, that I could make it. Uh, I was going to buck that system. I opened up the Midnight Auto Supply out there in the San Gabriel Valley. And what the Midnight Auto Supply consisted of, you folks that don't understand the term, uh, we dealt in car parts. We popped hubcaps and stole cars. That was the deal. And we did it all, you know, kind of an evening. And, and you never really get through that. I, you know, what a night. I was out, you know, just uh, made a little run out here a little while ago, and I happened to just look out in the parking lot, and I thought, you know, what a night. Uh, <laughs> God, you know, you can have the whole lot out there. I'm, uh, you wonder if anybody's moving that iron anymore. I'm sure they are, but... <clears throat> I was considered one of the finest car thieves that ever came out of the San Gabriel Valley. You know, that's not a bad deal. We had a lot of good hookers out there in the 30s. Man, you had to move to get ranked up there in the top ten, but uh, I enjoyed what I was doing, really, you know. I never lost a minute of sleep over anything I ever took in my life. I felt if you're jerky enough to park your car out there, friend, you're asking for trouble, that's all, you know. And so I went on down the road with it, and eventually, it's illegal, unfortunately, and I was arrested. And I stood in front of my first judge, and I got seven years out there in a Whittier formatory. And through the efforts of my people, as some juice got in, I wasn't out there long enough to wash my face. I got released, and I come back in L.A., and I got, they put me on probation. And I uh, didn't have any change of attitude. I'm still looking for some fantasy land, I suppose. And booze is a natural to get you into that fantasy line. It came into my life about 1940. It was Easter week, Balboa Beach, the Rendezvous Ballroom, Stan Kenton, and Padre Beer. Man, that's where she all got going. We'd, we'd suck on that Padre and get a little buzz on, go in the dance hall and dance with them dollies and act four times drunker than what we were. You breathe on the dollies, you know, ooh, you gotta let them know, you know, got a little booze out there, girls, you know. And uh, the young high roller coming to town. Had a hell of a good time with it, didn't get in any trouble, was not alcoholic in the beginning, I kind of worked at it. I moved from that Padre beer to the Rainier Ale, the old Green Death, and from the Green Death, I shot right into whiskey. And let me tell you, man, when I got to that whiskey, I got it all. That, that whiskey drinking, man, that, you know, it brings you to attention right now. That's what I like about it, boy. Get you moving. Get you downtown. Yeah. And I want to be downtown. Not after a while. Right now. Give me downtown whiskey, man, and that whiskey got you there. Yeah. And I broke in. I trained on that old 10 high, and I'll tell you, man, that's tough training, you know. Economically, you never made a better buy in your life. Uh, you know, 60, 70 cents a pint, and you felt every loving drop going down. You know, that, 
That baby tore at you. God, yeah. That burn going and burn coming. Now, it <laughs> used to come up and it'd run out your nose and it made your eyes water a lot and you're, you're standing there and one of your best friends is going, ain't it good? Oh, Jesus, it's so good. Yeah. It was so good you couldn't talk. That's how good that whiskey was. Because, you know, there's a lot of fringe benefits about drinking that cheap whiskey when you throw it up, you don't lose much. <laughs> Now, wouldn't it upset the hell out of you? You know, you're out there drinking that $10 whiskey and you're flashing $10. There she goes. You know. <laughs> all over the ground, $10. That'll make you sick all over again, by God. <laughs> if you're new, you probably thought I made that story up, but that's what the residue over there ain't. You know, <laughs> it's just like everything else today. Eh? You know, if it's good and it's usable, you take it from some guy on the program. You give that guy credit for it for three times, and that's that man, it's yours. That's the way it is. <laughs> Well, that was the beginning. <clears throat> uh, I started to have a few blackouts by January of 42. I was in a jam again up in the state of Oregon. <clears throat> I left there, came back to L.A. I enlisted in the Navy in January of 42, not because I was a patriot, but because I, I had the heat on in two states. I didn't have much choice. You know, they said either go to jail or go in the service. What the hell? That's not a big deal. <clears throat> I've been to jail. It's a bad deal. So I'm in the service. United States Navy. It was a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, my life is filled with bad decisions. When I got in there, all the enemies I had in L.A. had joined the Navy the same day I did, you know. Yeah, they started to create a hell of a problem. You know, I react to all kinds of authority, and they're telling me all the things you got to do with hell. I ain't going to do any of those things. No, I knew they'd change uh, some of those silly rules and regulations after they realized the talent coming in. I felt I'd probably be the youngest lieutenant commander the Navy ever had. And I was the oldest seaman they ever had, you know. I, I, nothing changed. In a year and a half, I had three court-martials, a deck, a summary, a general. I got 11 and a half months in the Navy pen up there in the top of Goat Island off a general court-martial run by... It was a Marine brig run by the Marine Corps. And that was a rotten deal. You know, the, I'll never forget this guy. His name was Big John. He was a Marine gunnery sergeant and the warden of the penitentiary. And old Big John and God used to go to breakfast together. You know, he accounted nobody of this guy. Oh, Jesus, he was something else, I'll tell you. You probably remember when that song years ago came out, Big John. Every time I'd hear it on the radio, I just kind of jump all over again. You know? <laughs> Well, I was fortunate I got restored to duty. Uh, my attorney, or allowed an attorney in the general court, and he went for clemency, and they bought the clemency. I got restored to duty. I fulfilled my commitment of the four years that I'd signed in for. I was discharged and came out and came back to Los Angeles in 1946. And the reason I didn't get kicked out, I'm like most talkies, I'm a hard worker, and I worked hard when I was sober, and so I generally had people going to bat for me. And some division officer, some boss mate, somebody was going to bat for me, and I, I didn't get kicked out. That was the long and the short. Well, I got back to Los Angeles, I say, in 1946. And 1946 is that pivotal year in my life. 1946, I heard about AA. You know, God moves in strange and mysterious ways. And no matter what you do or you don't do, buddy, it's going to work that way anyway. You know, how many times in my life have I said, man, I'll never do that again. I'll never go there again. I'll never see that guy again. I'll never drink again. I'll never, never. Well, <clears throat> never is a hell of a long time. 1946, a jerk town called Pasadena. They were a hell on drunks over there. I picked up my fourth arrest. It was my second 502, which is a drunk driving charge. I stood in front of a judge. A judge that I knew like my father. He and I had kind of grown up together. I'd known him for years, you know. And he looked down at me with them blue eyes, and he said, a year suspended, three years probation. He said, son, if you come into the city and I hear about you being in a joint that sells or serves alcoholic beverages, you are in violation of your probation. You can't even go near it. <clears throat> Get out of here. And so I got out. Boy, did I, you know. I thought, whoa, that was close, huh? I, uh, you don't have to hit me with that, too, before. I'm staying the hell out of this city. I ain't never drinking in here again. Well, about two months later, I'm down one of the beach towns, and I'm in there drinking. 
<clears throat> and I committed the cardinal sin. While I was drinking, I began to think. And that's a bad deal for an alky. He should think or drink, but don't get them both going at the same time, no. I got to thinking about that rotten judge in that lousy town, and this is a free country, and God knows I'm a veteran, yes. <clears throat> well, if I want to go back to Pasadena, I'm going back to Pasadena. That's what the hell I'm going to do. So I got in my car, and I drove back to Pasadena, obviously. When I got into that town, I got down to a joint called the Green Terrace. I, I got a total load on. I got out and got in my car. I went down one of the main drags, and I hadn't gone a half a mile, and the car pulled in front of me, and I, I couldn't see it. <clears throat> I was too drunk. And I hit it, and I ran from the scene of the accident because I was frightened. Here I am, dead drunk, no driver's license, a uh, year suspended, hanging over me, three-year probation, I'm violated. You know, there, you, when, no matter how drunk you are, it seems like there's a, for the 10, 15 seconds, these things fly through your mind. And I'm panicked, and I can only think about run, run, and I ran. I, I ran maybe four blocks at the outside, and the, the police, they used to come out of nowhere. Here they come, you know, down there, forced me over the curb, they jerked me out of the car, I woke up in the morning, I was in the tank. And I read my book and slip, and I'm in on a 501 felony, drunk driving, hit and run, bodily injury involved. And but for the grace of God, it looks after damn fools and drunks, why poor people didn't die out there in the city streets. Yeah, I'm totally convinced alcoholism is a game of seconds and inches, isn't it? You know, few inches, few seconds, snap of the finger. Yeah, had I been over three and a half feet, I'd have killed him. Yeah, at the rate of speed I was driving, there's no question about it. I want to get to Solly today. I, I don't think I can stand it out there any longer. I like to remember. I like to remember how it was in 46 when I busted that car and how I ended up in the can and how I stood in front of that judge and the judge told me exactly what, I, what kind of a person I was. And he said that he had to get me off the streets and that it was necessary to put people like me behind bars. And he called to the bailiff and he was getting the hell out of here. And so they took me out. And I like to remember that. I like to remember I'm very lucky that nobody died that night, too. But maybe the next time out of the shoot, who knows? I don't stay sober from the fear of it. But wouldn't a guy be a damn fool not to realize how lucky he's been? Uh, and I'm very lucky. And they loaded me off to the jail. And in that city jail, I shared a cell, the man who was going to AA. 250 guys were in a can, maybe 200. Uh, I can't tell you it doesn't make any difference. But out of that 200 plus, one guy got out of the bucket once a week to go to AA meetings. And guess who my cell partner is? Yeah, it's this guy here, this fanatic that goes to these AA meetings, you know. <clears throat> once a week, he'd sit there after you've been to the meetings, dying to tell somebody about AA. Well, you don't have a big audience in a jail cell, obviously. <clears throat> So I got the total treatment. He'd sit there and tell me all about this, and he wanted to fix it up, and I was going to go to a meeting with him, and I, I told him, Sully, man, you back off, buddy. You know, you and your brothers are all rotten drinkers. You ought to do something about it. But not me. What the hell? No, no. People are my problem. Them rotten people out there, they're my problem. Yeah, you get that world straight now, buddy. It'll be all right. Well, that guy turned that car in front of me. He had no business driving. He was a rotten driver, that guy. You know, on and on, the rationalization. And yeah, I'm too young to be an alcoholic. I said, what the hell? Your case is different, buddy. You're 36. You know, what the hell you got left? You're on the backside of that hill. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well give the booze up. You know, you can't take care of anything else anyway. Yeah, you go with the boozies. I go with the action. Yeah, I got a lot of gold, a lot to do out there until I left that city jail. And I went on down that road for another eight years plus. At the end of that eight-year period of time, I picked up a telephone to call the central office in Los Angeles. And, and I'm looking for AA. And I'm looking for a guy named Sully I'd share a cell with. And I couldn't find him. Five or six years later, I heard through the grapevine, old Sully going back to drinking. He had three years of sobriety, and he couldn't cut it, and <clears throat> he went back to drinking, and he couldn't get off. And when he found him, he was walking on his heels, and he had a wet head, a wet brain. They put him up there in that Camarilla State Hospital, they said, for the rest of his life. They ain't never coming back, Norm. And so I probably forgot about my friend, and I went down the road. And five years ago, last December, I was in a Sunday morning meeting over in Los Angeles, and I, <clears throat> I happened to look down the front row, and sitting down there in the front row was a guy named Sully. I'd shared a cell with about 25 years ago. 
Well, I went up to the baby afterwards and, uh, to him, and I said, man, how's it going? He says, great. Uh, I got in nine weeks now, and I just got out of the county hospital. And I says, buddy, you know, you I owe the hell out of you. You're one of the first sponsors I ever had. <clears throat> and I'd like to show you some of the things, and, and let's go to some meetings. He says, got a will, Norm, I'll call you. And he never did. And the Sunday following Thanksgiving, his sister-in-law called me, and she said, and Sully died. He went out one more time, Norm, and he hemorrhaged internally, and he died before they got in the hospital, and he bled to death. And one more time, i got to say to myself, why? And I wonder why these things are, have got to happen. Why is it necessary that people got to die to show people like me that you can't cut it out there? Why the percentages? When I came in, they said 50% of you guys are going to cut it the first trip. 25% of you are going to mess with it a while, and eventually you're going to get it, and 25% are going to die or go crazy through the use of alcohol. And I don't know why the hell it's got to be that 25, but I suppose it's something beyond me. It's a power greater than myself. It's a a portion that I find very difficult to explain or to talk about because I, I haven't the background, education, or vocabulary to really explain such things, but apparently there's <clears throat> some necessity to things of this nature. Well, when I left that city jail, obviously I didn't come to the program. As I mentioned, I drank out there over eight years. Went to work for one of the largest construction firms in the world. Stayed with these people 11 years in a concrete pipe business. In that 11-year period of time, I was at the right place at the right time. And I got a good job. And I had to have a good job in those years because I got a high overhead in those years. I have met and married a red-headed Irish woman that has got a violent temper, a rotten disposition, yells at me all the time, and is pregnant every other year, you know. So, <laughs> got the big overhead. And we, uh, it, it was very difficult to do any drinking around the house. Home drinking's low overhead drinking. God knows that. But under the circumstances that I drank, it was difficult to drink around the house. You know, you know how it is with an alky. He's a sensitive guy. He's out there drunk for two or three days, and he comes home, and he's tired. He's been very busy. <laughs> and he walks in the house, and, man, he wants a little love, affection, and understanding. You know, oh, baby, how are you? you know? Oh, God, from 20 feet, she's yelling at you. you know, you're drunk again. And, and I was always dumbfounded. You know, how the hell does she know, I wonder? And I used to call her on the phone, and she'd say, you're drunk, aren't you? you know? And I'd jump out of that phone booth, and I'd look, where the hell is that guy, you know? I'm sure she's got somebody following me, the walking drunk meter She can hear drunkness over the telephone, this woman, you know. I, I was dumbfounded. I would stand there, I recall very vividly, a, a Sunday. I'd been out and I had a bad day, and a guy would open my eye up. I had dried blood on the side of my face, my shirt's torn, and I got one shoe on, and I'm trying to figure out how the hell she knew I'd been drinking. I... I had a marvelous story I was going to tell her. And, and last year, you know, I wondered, why do Alkies only lose one shoe? I thought we might form some kind of a side deal of AA, the one shoe. Uh, we'd put them all together that way, and, and maybe we could come out on it. I don't know. But anyway, it was a thought. But you can see the problems I had. She'd say, you're drunk again, and I'd say, who, me? Like 37 guys are with you, you know. But you got to get her on the defensive, you know. And she'd say, yeah, you. And I say, do you know? Do you, do you know who you're talking to? Yeah. And in case she doesn't know, you introduce yourself to her, huh? The old Alky introduces himself to his wives and friends for years on end. You know, that's a fringe benefit of AA. You don't have to do that anymore, huh? I'd stand there and say, listen, baby, I'm old Norm, baby. That's who the hell I am. And don't you forget it. And she'd say, I'm old Norm. That's who I am. And don't you forget it. You know, I'm going to mimic me as only the way them Irish can do it. Jesus, that upset me. Sometimes that happened when you had your best friend with you. Yeah, your new business partner. You met him in the bar last night. You've invited him home. Sorry, oh, come on, all of you. <laughs> and he's dying to go home with you because, hell, he don't want to go home alone either, see. 
So there you stand, the blind leading the blind. You know, you see, I'm telling her an arm, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell her, you see. But I, I got to get her, you know, I got to save face. So I say, you know, you've embarrassed me in front of my best friend. I couldn't think of his name. Yeah. I say, you shut up now. You shut that Irish mouth and you apologize for what you said. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to leave. I ain't never coming back. How do you like that? You know, and she's hysterical. She goes out and throws all my clothes out. So you pick up the damn clothes, don't you? You know, the old clothes packing alky. He's a joy to the neighborhood. There he goes, in and out, you know, packing the clothes. And the neighbors are watching. There he goes, that a boy. Uh, in the case the neighbors don't know you're leaving, you honk your horn. Honk, 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 I'm going, you know, yes. And you drive away in glory, clothes and all. Never to come back again. Two days later, zap, here he comes, you know. Yeah. Old rim driver coming home, had a flat tire, here he comes. <laughs> Driving on the flat tire, the old tire flopping and popping in there and the sparks flying off of the rim, pulls the car into the driveway, honks his horn, opens the door and falls out. There he is. Yeah. And the old elkie gets up off of the ground and he says to himself, I wonder if anybody saw me, yeah. <laughs> He is concerned about his reputation, the alcoholic is, yes. <clears throat> well, he thinks if they saw me, they probably thought I had the flu, you know. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> Well, you can see the kind of adversity that I had to live under there. <laughs> Very difficult. So all my drinking was done in them saloons and them bars out there. I like them gin mills anyway. I like the dark lights. I like the rotten music. I, I like the smell, man. It kind of blew your sinuses out. You sucked that baby in. Yeah, brought you to attention, didn't it? I... I like sitting around talking to them intellectual giants. God, yeah. Talking in millions and spending in thousands, and we never had four bits between us. But we talked a hell of a lot about it. We built them castles in the air and formed them corporations and wonder what them poor swabs are doing tonight because big action was all around you there. And when you got tired of talking and lying to each other, you could sit there and look in that mirror, and they put mirrors and bars so that alcoholics can stare at themselves. They, they get that Maybelline look, you know, that wide-eyed, yeah. <laughs> Well, there you are, you devil, you, yes. Remarkable how good-looking you got in the last half an hour, isn't it? Yes. You wonder why all the dollies aren't down there. Man, you're good-looking, you're well-built. You're bringing a drink up, you notice your arm. You kill her, Christ, you're a killer. Oh, yeah. 155 ringing wet in them days. I couldn't lick my lips, let alone anybody else. <laughs> that whiskey makes a lover and a killer out of you. Some nights you get so drunk you can't figure out what you are. You're a lover or a killer. Yeah, I don't know what things to make. <clears throat> you got that smiling Frankie Gordon suit on, cost you thirty dollars, didn't it? You got fifty cents worth of whiskey all down the front of you there. You like chili? You got chili all over you there. Smell bad? I can't talk. <clears throat> I used to drink myself up to that mumbling. You sit there and go. <laughs> well, how the hell can you be romantic when that's all you can say? You see, it's just before you fall off the bar stool, a big kludge in the middle of the floor. Or you got to go to the men's room. It's a pay toilet. What a bad deal that is. Uh. <clears throat> you haven't got the change to get into the pay toilet. So you slide under the door, huh? There's got to be some old door sliders here tonight, I'm sure, huh? <laughs> Man, it's degrading for a high roller going in under the door, isn't it, huh? <laughs> yeah, it takes the press out of your suit, too. And coming out, you know, a couple of guys are, what are you doing there, you know? Oh, yeah. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Well, you gotta leave. <laughs> the element of the evening is, you know, you wander out to find your car and your car's gone. You lost it again. So <clears throat> you spend the next hour or so trudging around the city looking for your car. You know, a lot of car losers in AA. And you you don't dare call some friend and ask him if he's seen your car. 
<clears throat> no, you do that once in your life, the alky does. He knows better than to do it the second time. You ever, you know, did you ever ask a non-alcoholic if he knows where your car is? <laughs> I'll never forget the night that I, I'd made the can out in the Zeus. And I called my neighbor. He's an attorney. And I said, Julie, I'm in the can out here. Will you give me out? <clears throat> Get the bail money down, buddy, will you? And so he comes on down. He bails me out. And as we're walking out of the can, why, <clears throat> he says, Norm, let's get your car, and I'll follow you, and we'll go home. And, and I turn to him, and he says, Julian, you let him know where my car is. <laughs> and now he's got that Maybelline look, that wide-eyed. He's staring at me, you know. <laughs> you know, what the hell are you trying to tell me, Norm, for Christ's sake? How can you lose a car? You know, a car must weigh over 4,000 pounds, Norm. How the hell could you lose your car? Well, I, I wanted to tell him how easy it was. I, I did it four or five times a year out there. You know, there's really nothing to it, but... I couldn't. How the hell can you explain losing a car? You just stand there and smile. I lost it. Surely, all right. Well, let's forget that and go on to something else. Well, you do that once, and that's enough, because that embarrasses the hell out of you. And so you trudge around the city looking for it. I, I think one of the highlights of an alcoholic's life is the night he finds his car. <laughs> kind of a spiritual experience, really. No, you're walking down the street and there it is, your Jesus. It hasn't been impounded, old car. I love you, God. You open the door and you get in and you go to bed in there. Is that right? Sure. The car sleeper. Man, we got them car sleepers in there. You can spot a new guy if he's a car sleeper. He walks in like that. Get out. <laughs> he's had his head screwed up under the armrest all night and the door handle in his ear. Uh, Wakes up four o'clock in the morning and he's sick and, and you think your window's down but it's up. Did you ever got to throw up through your own window? You knock the hell out of your head, you know, throw up down the front of you and and, and the algae sits there and says, "Drinking's fun." Yes, I. Oh, I'm having a marvelous time. I'm a victim of unusual circumstances and a lot of bad whiskey. And once I get the hell out of L.A., it's going to be all right, man. Once I get back down to Big Spring, Texas, Jesus, it's going to be all right. Yeah. The favorite expression. Next time will be different. Big Spring, Dallas, El Paso, yeah. Moses Lake, Washington, Seattle, Albuquerque, <clears throat> Wichita, Lubbock, on and on, yeah. Once I get back down there, once I get there, it's going to be different, sure. It'll be all right. I'll get the handle on it, you know, take it to the gates of insanity or death, around some place, some corner, some city, somewhere. I'm going to be able to drink like my old man and my brothers and the people I'm working with. I know I can do it. And you take it and you fight it. <clears throat> And you never get back once you cross the invisible line. Once you're that alky drinker, you never come back. And you fight it you know, right down to the wire. Many go beyond the wire. Looking for the answer to living out there in that quart of whiskey. And I was sure I was right. It would be different. It always was. It was worse. It never got better. <clears throat> and eventually the day came when, little by little, the booze got every loving thing I owned and anything to me. <clears throat> I recall a day very vividly. I drove home to the house, Red's there, and we had quite a conversation. But she ain't sore at me. She just says, Norm... Norm, you're a drunken bum, Norm. What the hell? You'll never live to be 35 years old. You're drinking yourself to death. The kids, me and the kids, we're all neurotic because of you. You know, everybody in this house is scared to death of you, Norm. You busted up the house again. You push the refrigerator through the wall. You stand there with that gun. One night the gun goes off. Hell, Norm, I spent a lifetime sitting here looking through the front room window waiting to see your car come home. Night after night after night, I wait to see your car come in, Norm. You never come. I die a little more, Norm. I can't go through it. I call an attorney. I've asked for separate maintenance to put a restraining order against you, Norm. Get the hell out of my life, Norm. And so you walk out and you get in your car and you drive away and you make that profound statement, why me? Why me? Why me? And why do you think it's a drunk this time? And why and why? And you know and I know. You're alcoholic. You continue to drink. It's a matter of time until the booze gets every loving thing you got that means anything to you. Sure, there's a lot of cases. You know, not so isolated anymore. There's a lot of cases where <clears throat> people coming in and these things aren't necessary. 
They're walking through the door. They still got the woman with them when they're walking in. That's a hell of a miracle. A man and his woman coming into the first AA meeting. Boy, you look at that guy, he's sick and all hung out. And you look at the woman, and she's sick, too, in a different way. And you look at her eyes, and there's a story. And it seems to say, this jackass has tried everything in the world, and this isn't going to work either. Nothing works for this guy now. Ah, and you see them a couple of months later, walking through the same door. And, <clears throat> and the guy, he's all sharped out now. He looks pretty good, and his eyes are clear. And you look at the woman, and in her eyes, a new story. And the story seems to say, <clears throat> I've been waiting 20 years for this to happen. And finally, it's happened, and today we're happier than we've ever been in our life. It is all made possible through a unique miracle that you and I here choose to call Alcoholics Anonymous. Here. To new people, this isn't something we can guarantee you, though, buddy. All we have, what we have to offer here in AA is, is sobriety and a way of life. And whatever you're doing, you've got to be better ass. We don't guarantee you're going to make a ton of scratch or drive a big iron or live in the big house on a hill or your woman's calling you home or your man, whatever the case is. No, no. Now, sobriety, a way of life. You're a ditch digger. You're going to be a better ditch digger. That much we can say without reservation. And if you'll stick around and buy that whole package we got here, we'll throw in the sweetest thing you ever owned in your life, your self-respect. Ain't that a hell of a deal? Your self-respect. Men spent hundreds and thousands and millions trying to recapture self-respect. They said, there's no deal. Self-respect isn't something you check out down at the supermarket. Hell no. Self-respect is something I suppose you're born with. You do... Take care of it. You don't abuse the privilege of it. Uh, and you maintain it. And <clears throat> you have it. An alcoholic such as I. I walked down the road and I abused it. And the man walked into my life one day and says, Norm, you've abused the privilege of owning it. It's necessary. I take it away. Frick. Yeah, I took it away. He took away my self-respect. And I tried to buy it and I begged it. And it wasn't available. No, no. And I walked into the program. And the man said, would you like your self-respect? I said, yeah. He said, stick around and buy the package. And we can almost say, well, a reservation, we'll give it back to you, my friend. The day will come when you can look in the mirror again, when you wash your face. And you'll have <clears throat> some kind of semblance of sanity. And you'll enjoy what you see there. Self-respect. And if I had to isolate one thing that brought me into AA, I'm sure it was an aggregate total of many things. There was a jail, there was a joint, there was a beaten up, there was a humility. <clears throat> it was many things. It was the woman and it was the children. But would I isolate one thing? It was the day I realized that I had nothing going inside, that I had no respect for myself. That became, I'm sure, the psychological second of my life when I'm totally sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I didn't know it. And I'm tired of hurting myself, and I know it. And I don't want to go any farther. And it's a God-directed thing. And I got up off of the floor, and I walked in, and I picked up the telephone, and I called the information, they gave me the phone number of AA and L, and the central office in Los Angeles. And I called the central office in Los Angeles, and I... I talked to a sweet-loving man over there. His name was Johnny Carroll. I'm sure he doesn't mind me breaking his anonymity. Hell of a guy. He passed away after been sober a couple of years. A, a dedicated person. The reason he was such a marvelous individual, he'd learned early in his AA program, in order to keep what I have, i got to give it away. And God knows he gave it away by the bunch. He gave it to, to people like me that Sunday when I talked to him. And he said, do you want to do something about your drinking, son? I said, I do. And he said, here's some numbers. Call them. And I did. And pretty soon a guy came out to see me. And he became my sponsor. And my sponsor was one of them sponsors you read about. One of them hard-hearted sponsors, you know. Went to school, I think, for hard-hearted sponsors. Yeah, his attitude about AA and sobriety was, man, you wanted AA as bad as you wanted that whiskey. And if you didn't want it that bad, then you aren't going to get it. And he, he explained it that way. That was the parallel he drew out. He said, you went to any length, buddy, to get that woo booze. You lied, cheated, conned, stole, walked, drove... Any length, any length, he said, to get that whiskey. And he said, that's the way this program's got to be, man. You've got to go to any length. And he said, you've got to remember something, friend. You need us, and we don't need you. 
And you remember something else, too, buddy. It took you a hell of a time to get yourself an escape here in. It's going to take you one hell of a time to get yourself back out. She said if you got into it and it took you 15 years, you, got, you did it one day at a time. You got yourself down to the bottom of that chute. And he said you're coming out the same way, one day at a time. He said there's guys in there, he'll cut it in six or seven years. But he said they got a good attitude. And he looked right at me when he said that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Of course, I didn't like him anyway, you know. We got a generation gap there. He's 18, 20 years older than I am, and all he does is talk, you know, and talk. And he asks you a question, and then he answers it, you know. He says, uh, I don't pick you up and take you to a meeting. He said, there's guys in the city who will pick you up and take you to a meeting. He says, but frankly, that's the softer, easier way. What the hell do you want to come and get it? You got a car? Drive. You got a car? He said, hell, you ain't ready yet. No. Well, we'll take a chance on you, sure. <laughs> if you got a car, he says, we take chance on guys with cars from time to time. And if you haven't got a car, he says, you can walk. Or you can take the bus. You got the bus money. But he says, you got to keep it in proportion, buddy. Any length. Well, by the time that he leaves, I'm very upset and I'm furious. <laughs> the only thing that I like about it is what he said, if I can make it, you can. And I thought, ain't that the truth? Yeah. <clears throat> if that rotten old man could make it, anybody could make it. What a rotten man he is. I can hardly wait to get my car tonight. I'll drive down to that Temple City meeting. You'll be there and I'll crush him with my car. That's what I'm going to do. Yes. Well, I got in my car, and on the way down to the first meeting, a dozen things are running through my head, you know. How it is going to the first AA meeting? Am I going to see somebody that knows me? You know, find out a drink. Oh, I don't want that to happen, yeah. <clears throat> Do they have a credit union in AA? I thought that'd be nice. But, you know, I had a lot of heat on, you know. If I could borrow money and get the heat off and meet a guy that shows me how to drink and all that thing, you know, God. Do I have to sign pledges? Well, before I knew it, I was there. And he's standing there in the parking lot waiting, and he's laughing. You gotta love him. I loved him. He was a very controversial individual, but I loved him. <clears throat> and he slapped me on the back and he took me on into this Temple City meeting. We used to meet there in the Legion Hall. And on the corner was the liquor store, the Legion Hall, and the cemetery. And the cliche of the group was you get by here, stop here, you won't make it over there. Ha ha, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they show all the new guys the cemetery out there. You're going to die if you drink all of that funny. Oh, well, what the hell's so funny about that? You know, alcohol's got a warp sense of humor when it gets sober. It's a very wealthy group that I'm subjected to. We had so much money in the group, we had donuts before and after the meeting. Can you believe that? Yeah. And we bought all three, four red jelly donuts. And we saved them red jelly donuts for the new guy. Yeah. And the new guy coming through the door, and he's all green and hung out. And the Red Jelly Donut Committee had slide up on him, you know. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Are you new? <laughs> How would you like a cup of coffee and how about a Red Jelly Donut? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you ever look at a Red Jelly Donut when you got a hangover? It gets you right there. It looks like something you left in the street last night. Oh, no, thank you. I don't want a donut. And they stood around and talked, and everybody talked at the same time about different things, and you don't know what the hell was going on. And then the meeting began, the guy stood up in front of the meeting, told everybody what a jackass he was to become hysterical over it. 25 jails, I drank a little Vitalis, that's all, you know. What the hell have I got to say to anybody? Well, this guy, he makes a big statement, and all them talkers in the early years, boy, they made sure they told you. They stood there, and he says, man, and I thought he was talking right at me. He said, it don't make any difference what you drank or where you drank it, or the amount you consumed. Or how old you are. He says, what's doing to you, buddy? It's tearing up, you know, any part of your life. Hell, you don't have to go any farther. And when he said that, I wanted to come out of the chair and I wanted to tell him, buddy, you better believe it. It is tearing the hell out of my life. I don't want to go any farther. I don't want to hurt myself no more. I'm not so convinced, you know, that I, that I want to quit drinking, but I sure don't want to go any farther. 
I don't want to go down that road like that guy Ben. I don't want to see all those things he's seen. And as I looked at that guy, I knew by God he's telling me the truth, too. I don't have to. AA is a program of example, is it not, huh? The old cliche, what he is, speaks so loud, I cannot hear a word he says. By example is the program. There stood the man. He come off of them city streets in L.A. There he stands. He's no longer the street rat. Now he's clean, and he's sharp, and he's happy. And his eyes, they're clear, and he's laughing. And he's got a set of threads on. I bet them threads cost that guy a hundred and a half. And I'm thinking, man, if he didn't get nothing else from AA, didn't he get a set of drapes out of it? Boy, that's all right. <clears throat> yeah, I get a little sobriety, get a little drapes, too. I like them drapes that guy's running. That's all right. I am impressed with the thing that I see. Sure, he had, I guess, what I've been looking for the last decade of my life and didn't know it. He had the identification, and that was the key to it all. <clears throat> These things I was to learn later on. The only other thing I took out of that first AA meeting I went to was that this guy, with all these problems, his woman had divorced him, and she'd remarried. And his kids, they all hated him. But he said one day he bought the package of this program and his kids came down to see him. And they learned to like him, to respect him, and to love him. <clears throat> and if I'd have looked around, I'd have seen it all. I'd have seen a half a dozen of these big, tough AA guys sitting in that AA meeting and the, and the tears were running down their face and they told the story. They laughed because they were miserable and they cried because they were happy and they called it Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe that's oversimplification, but it's my understanding of the program. It's the way i got to work it. I don't know a better way to clear away the wreckage of my rotten, lousy past to move that crap out than to be able to just sit and to laugh a little. And that was the beginning of it all, the day that I learned to laugh again. Not laughing at anybody, not laughing at myself, but to learn to laugh. I said in them early meetings, and I said, I ain't laughing. I ain't never going to laugh. I will never laugh ever. <laughs> and then one day, you know, I'm sitting there going, Oh, God, I did it, too. Don't tell my sponsor I laugh, whatever you do. But don't you know, uh, once you begin as a damn tough to stop it, uh, yeah, it starts to come up. <clears throat> and all that garbage and all that wreckage, and you start to move it out. And you put yourself into the position to buy the whole package out there at Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> you start making them amends out there and telling people you're sorry. And then one day you find people that aren't overjoyed over the fact you went to AA. I'll never forget the liquor store when I told Tony. I had a pretty big bill down. He said, Tony, baby, I gotta, I'm got i going to clean that bill up. I joined AA and quit drinking. What do you think of that, Tony? I need about 90 days. And she said, the hell you had, Norm. <clears throat> you need about two weeks. And if you don't get it up in two weeks, I'm going to see your check. How do you like that, Norm, huh? You can take that AA. <clears throat> you know, all right. Well, that upset the hell out of me, you know. Because yeah, I'm not used to telling people I'm sorry. I don't do anything like that in my life. People like me say, you know, no. No, I'm a taker. Takers never say anything like that. I'm a taker of things and a user of people. I'm a loser. All takers are losers. You're looking at one here. Ah, I started to gain a little. I started to win a little. When I started to, to give a little. When I started to say, God, I'm very sorry. I mean it. I started to make them amends. And then the day comes in your life when you when you want to go home, maybe, and see your people and tell your people you're sorry, huh? That's very hard, <clears throat> particularly if they're not there. And then you got the big cross to carry, huh? I always want to go home and see my mother, you know. Year after year, I used to go in this year, and, and, and before I leave, she'd always break down. She'd always cry. And I tell her, baby, because you don't cry, baby. What the hell? I'm going to be all right. I'm going to knock the booze off. Oh, don't cry no more. I'll be like the old man. I'll straighten out the package. Sure. Pretty soon. Later on. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And then one day I run out of tomorrow. I killed her in the car wreck two years before I got to the program. And when I come in, I said, there's a man at the top of the list. I want to go home. I say, baby, I'm sorry. She would be able to meet her, but it wasn't available. And I made that cross too big. You see, the serenity prayer, that's the escape route. It tells you right there, except the things you can't change. What the hell? I can't change it. That's the way it went down. For some reason, that's beyond me. It's wreckage of the past. 
I gotta move it the hell out. It's tough enough to live today with today's merchandise, let alone trying to do something about yesterday that I can't do nothing about now and I gotta get it the hell out. It's not a rationalization, it's a pure and simple fact, I know. What the heck, nobody goes forever. Someday they hang me out to dry. I make the shot. Pow, I check in. I say, baby, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm sorry for all the crap and trouble I caused you when you're down below, but you know something? You got a hell of a lot better after you left. I met a group of people, and they call themselves Alcoholics Anonymous. And if for nothing else, you could tell her about 23 years, you say, would they hang me out so I could still talk about that period of time? Not a rationalization, as I understand it, but a pure and simple fact. And that's the way I went on down the road. That's the way my sobriety came. This being my birthday week, <clears throat> my birthday was last Wednesday. I'm a little disappointed I didn't get a cake tonight, but anyway, I'll be... <laughs> And I feel, you know, the February people are the last of the Christmas holdouts. We're very significant people. You know, we hung right into the very end. We ended up, well. <clears throat> but it kind of takes me back. I remember the second meeting I went to. The second meeting, I damn near checked it all in. The second meeting I went to was a... I went to a meeting in Pasadena. Where the hell else would I go? Went over there, the old-timers meeting in Pasadena. I had to be sober ten years to read the staff. Sure. <clears throat> the um, speaker that night. Been in a long time. About 137 years, I think. Very old guy. <clears throat> And old Artie, God love Artie when he talked. I learned to love him later on. But when he talked in those days, he always showed a picture of himself. A great big blown-up mugshot taken up when he was doing time in the county jail. And the point that he tried to get across was, look at me when I'm drinking and look at me now. And I looked at the picture and looked at Artie and I thought, Christ, he looks better junk, that guy, you know. <laughs> well, this program ages the hell out of these guys. i got to get out of here. And I went out the next day and I bought me a pony of whiskey. I took a drag, I threw it away, and I came to my third meeting. And at my third meeting, the Arcadia group, my home group, I met a half a dozen guys. We're about the same age. <clears throat> from 26 to about 36, 37, we started running together, going to meetings together. At the first uh, week of sobriety, I walked into South San Gabriel, and the guy standing on the door was a guy I used to drink with, and I almost fainted. I thought he was dead, you know. And there he stood, and when he saw me, he says, Norm, where you been? He said, I've been waiting three years for you. I thought you was dead out there. We drank some of them better joints down there in El Monte, the old uh, Kit Kat and the Apache and Baldwin Park and Helen's Pepper Tree and Irwindale. These places had a lot of charisma to them, and... <clears throat> Not only that, they took your watch when you ran out of money, you see. <laughs> but I lost track of him, and here he stood. And he took me on in, and he introduced me to some more people that first Friday night. And one of the guys he introduced me to is a cop. He says, this is Herbie. Herbie's been sober nine years, Norm. He's a cop. A cop? I said, gee, what the hell's a cop doing in there? How come you let them rag pickers in? Get him. You know, got to get him out. Well, he explained to me, the police drink, too. He stood for everything that I was against, yet there became a bond. I'd find myself in those early years, you know, getting myself mentally in, the, in trouble, and I'd drive to San Gabriel looking for a motor cop out there. And by God, before I knew it, here he would be. Or I'd stop at one of the coffee stations he used to make, and there he would be. And I would lay it on him, and he would straighten out. And I owed him a lot of things, and that's the way it went. <clears throat> the meetings after the meetings with my friends, that's a very important argument. You know, you sit around drinking coffee. And you get them in-depth inventories taken, you know, after the meeting. You'll, we noticed when I was new, there were a lot of cliques in AA. So we formed our own clique to be against some other cliques out there. That was very important. <clears throat> yeah. And we noticed they had a lot of flaky leaders, speakers, and secretaries in AA in that San Gabriel Valley. So we decided we would change all that. And we'd run one of our guys, the secretary of the largest group in San Gabriel Valley. And the problem was you had to have a year of sobriety. And so we hung in there. Oh, we waited. And man, this Pollock, he was the first guy to get a year in. We run this old stand for secretary of the largest group. They say, no politics in AA. Don't you believe it? Man, we went to El Monte, Ballin Park on election night, imported all our friends in there on election night. And old Stan becomes secretary of the group, you know, by a landslide. Yes, and a week later, he joined the other cliques. Huh. 
Hell of a deal, isn't it, huh? <laughs> then you come to find out that the only clicks in AA is the click, click, click it in your head, huh? All they got in AA is people. People from all walks of life. People I wouldn't do any drinking with and people that'll do no drinking with me. People I won't share all my sobriety with them. And they won't share all of theirs with me. But you know, there ain't a man or a woman in this program and just like me so bad, like to see me take a drink and that a hell of a deal. <clears throat> that he may disagree with everything I stand for, my work life, AA life, my personal life. But what a call him say, frankly, come to see me. You know something, Frank, would be there. He'd sit there with compassion, with understanding, and he would do his best to keep me from going out in that jungle and getting torn on that grinder one more time. Even though he disagreed and disliked me, he would hang in and try to help. And that's got to be one hell of a deal. That's got to be the best deal I ever had in my life. And I'd love to tell you that from that point on, <clears throat> the moment that you start learning to give, because this is a giving program, that everything is lovely. Every day is a holiday. Every meal is a banquet for me. Like, hell no. I wish it were. I, I used to think we ought to be exempt. After five years, you ought to be exempt from all that pucky out there. Well, <clears throat> that isn't the way it is. You know, five years, sobriety, what the hell? I don't need all that stuff, but that isn't the way it is. No, they give you the equipment to stand out there and be counted like everybody else. That's what AA told me. That's what my sponsor said, buddy. You stand out there and be counted. Don't you stand around crying that poor mouth, buddy. No, just because you belong to AA, you're not exempt. Hell no, you, you take it. You're going to take them good days, buddy. You take them bad days. You take them heartbreak, them grief, and them misery. And you stand there like a man you'd be counting. They're tough, huh? They're very, very tough. Very difficult for people like I. 1962 was a tragic year. Financially, the worst shape of my life. <clears throat> Couldn't hit a lick. Everything I touch, you know, goes haywire. By the middle of the year, I got a, you know, my ego overruled my good sense. I made a lot of bad decisions. <clears throat> By the middle of the year, I got an honest desire to take a drink. I got that Arab thirst. I can taste that whiskey going down. Not once, but a half a dozen times. I was down in Miami, staying in Miami Springs, on business. And I'm out to go down to a gin mill I knew about there. I got no business in there. I move into the drinking world. I sat down on the bar stool. The bartender comes up and he says, what do you have? I says, give me a double. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yo, man, they do that right now, them bartenders. Yeah, put that baby right out there in front of me. And I didn't reach. No, it wasn't necessary. The old shooter upstairs, huh? <clears throat> he gave me a little more time. He made me remember who I was, I guess, and where I came from. He made me remember that it ain't this bad. No, it isn't that bad. He took me back for a moment. He says, Norm, you think it's tough? Don't you remember what it's tough? Don't you remember what it was in 46, Norm, when you busted in the car and you thought you killed people, huh? Don't you remember what it was laying in them tanks, waking up in Big Spring, Texas on a dirt floor and a cockroach is running over your head, Norm? Guys, don't you remember what it's tough? Don't you know when it was bad, Norm? And there for a moment I was able to remember. I didn't find it necessary to grab that hooker. He didn't snap that angel off my shoulder. He gave me another shot. He prepared me for what I didn't know was coming at the end of the year. Why, <clears throat> we were to lose twin boys. And I stood out there in front of the hospital. And I said, God damn it, why? What you doing to me now, huh? You got to bring this all down on the old man up there. What the hell you doing? And I stood and I cried that poor mouth. And I forgot to remember. You never get more than what you can carry, do you? He gives the big loads to the big horses. He gives the small ones. Always the guy's named Norm. Instead of standing around Norm crying the poor mouth, buddy, you better look down the street, huh? You look down the street, any street, you're going to see a guy carrying a load ten times the size of yours. The difference between you and he is that he carries his with great dignity. He didn't find it necessary to cry the poor mouth about what he was asked to pack or what he was carrying or what he gave up. No, no, he carried it. <clears throat> he remembered. And he said, thanks. And I say, thanks. Today, I can say it. Right now, I say thank you. Thank you, old friend, for what you gave me. Thank you for the 23 years you let me walk down the sunny side of the street. <clears throat> what the hell if I don't get any more than that? I'm overpaid. You know that. 
I know guys who never saw 23 days out there, let alone 23 years. I know guys who never saw 23 months. They walk down the street of booze and fantasy, busted dreams and broken hearts, tears by the bucket full of seen them die out there in them rotten traps. Every year some friend of mine, you know, takes the gas out there and he dies, coming from behind, trying to get a handle on us. Dies drunk. Dies justifying his existence. When I drank, it was all alcoholics. You spend a lifetime out there justifying every damn thing you did. And I know guys who took it right to the wire and justified the crap they went through. They never saw what I see. They never saw 23 years of walking in the sunshine. I'm overpaid. I've been able to walk out there and be respected by myself and respected by people. I'm able to do a job and go home at night and, and walk in a house and, and be respected uh, by, by a woman. My woman's there. And I'm coming in, she's red-headed and she's Irish and she respects me because I'm an old man. And nobody cries in my joint today because their old man is drunk and tearing it up. Ain't heard a kid of mine scream at me for years for me not to hit their mother. Watch them go from small bandits into them big bandits. Send them out to them schools and watch some of them get some kind of education. Taking daughters downtown. Bought them their first pair of high-heeled shoes. Seen them, you know, make the transition from chickens into women. Felt the respect in their eyes for me. They're all mad. Yeah, I put them in them prom dresses and see them come on out. I seen them jerks come to the house and take them out too. I bet you. Yeah. Man, they get jerkier every year too. I think. Hello, Mister Alfie. How are you? Jesus, I want to hit them. You know, well. I had the opportunity seven, eight years ago to take the oldest girl down the aisle, the first one to get married in the family. Yeah. I remember it very vividly. I said, you know, 400 people came to the church. I can remember that they could send invitations out for 400 people to see me shot. Nobody comes, huh? But there's a 400 sitting out there. The music starts, huh? And then there's Chicken. She comes out the door. She's all at wise. And she's crying. And she gets my arm. And then I'm crying because she's crying. And then I walk down the aisle there and I look out in that 400 people. There must have been 80, 90 my A buddies. And they're all sharp and clean and they're crying too. They're crying because they're so happy about the whole thing. And we have a feeling between one another. The alky there and the alky that's walking here. And the voice seems to come out and say, Norm, buddy, Jesus, you're looking good, Norm. Uh, God almighty, you're fine, Norm. Too bad the rest of the people here, Norm. They don't know who you are, huh, Norm? And where you come from and, and what it took to bring you there. And I want to say, Charlie, too bad they don't know you too. And too bad they don't know what's wrong, huh? Too bad. And I walked on down. And I give this, <clears throat> I give this princess to this big jackass. She married me. <laughs> what a hell of a thing, you know. This big jackass is now a dentist. Can you believe that? Yeah, kind of a fringe benefit in the air. I got my own personal dentist. You know, not many guys got that. Hell, huh? Oh, hell no. I go in any time I want to go in. I don't need an appointment, nothing. I walk in. I tell him, you'll do something. I don't care what the hell it is. <clears throat> so some days you just squirt water all around in there. I leave, huh? You know I have a hell of an ego. There's no question about it. And he knows it, too. So he puts up with this crap, yeah. And I've been walking in the middle of the night at a phone call to say, you know, hello, grandfather. You got another granddaughter, and I want to cry because of the ecstasy of it all. But I could go on for hours on end and tell you about the miracles that I've been through and the things that I've seen. But I could never really tell you because you know. You know what I'm talking about. You know the feeling that one alky's got for another, the things you can't, that you can't totally explain. You know the feeling when you got back that self-respect that you lost it. You know the feeling that I'm trying to profess and can't do. I can only say every loving thing I am is because of AA. And it's been a hell of a walk from the L.A. County Jail to the point that I stand today. And But for the grace of God, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and 
and friends like you folks out there. I could have missed it all. Thanks, man. God bless you. Thank you.